Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the February 18, 2024 session, focusing on Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. Show me your ways. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Crystal Shepard. I'm back. Yay! <laughs> Did you miss me? Gramps. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, Grants. Thanks, thanks. We are we are just enjoying this new little one uh, so much. In fact, I was over there today. My wife and I went over for lunch and got to hold her and feed her. And she's just precious. Yeah, it's just such a special time. And I will say, as a I've got I've gone through two infants because I had two kids, but there's something different about it now because you realize how quickly. This mm-hmm. is going to pass. <laughs> they grow up. So we're trying to enjoy every moment of it. We have an interesting passage today, and I ended up with a strange kind of lead-in question. I know you're not used to that from me. Usually they're very <laughs> sane, normal. But I, first I need to define a word, and that's, the word is doppelganger. In case you're not familiar with that word, it's a kind of mythical creature that can take on a person's appearance. And so the idea is it takes your place, right? Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, you know, we're sometimes known by the ways we behave and act. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder what's something that you do that a doppelganger would have to replicate in order to convince your family that they are you? There are two things that I would say. They would have to drink copious amounts of green tea, iced green tea. So that would be one. If they didn't, it would be a dead giveaway. And the other thing is I get really passionate and <laughs> loud and excited about things that I see. And so if there's a cause or if I'm like come across something on Instagram, then I'm going to be like, hey, guys, let me. Ch-. And so I am so loud about it. <laughs> and or I'll complain about it and I'll give the whole list of facts, like a deep dive into it. If I if my doppelganger did not do that, they would know that there is something <laughs> wrong. Yeah. So they would probably be happy if it, there was a doppelganger because it would be quieter and calmer. <laughs> they would have to be completely serious at all times. Always speak slowly <laughs> and carefully. Yeah. Right. Yeah, dead giveaway. <laughs> dead giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, convinced they're me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> because what are you like, Dave, that your family was? I, I think it's more <laughs> of a, I tend to try to deflect and manage situations using humor, especially <laughs> around the family. When people are having difficulty and stuff, it's a way to lessen the tension and all that. Sure. I think they'd notice that if suddenly I was adding to the tension instead of trying to lessen it. Uh-huh. Yeah. For me... You'd probably have to be always carrying around a cup with some kind of chipped ice in it. (laughs) No, seriously, as of late, yeah, you're going to need to be carrying around a cup of the good ice. And much like Crystal, but just all the time, (laughs) not just when I am passionate, you would have to speak loudly. (laughs) And not, it would not need to be like, you're yelling, you just... Speak normal and it's loud (laughs) because that is me. I am loud all the time. I've been loud my whole life (laughs) and it just is what it is. (laughs) But if you were not like hurting people's ears, they would not believe it was me. (laughs) If a doppelganger showed up and was not silly, 
Because mm-hmm. believe it or not, even though most of my daytime world, I am a serious person. I have a serious job and I do serious things. When I'm at home, I am just silly as I can be. And some of that I get from my dad because he was silly. And that includes things like making up silly songs on the spot about my children and my wife, <laughs> singing them, making wordplay jokes, of course, dad jokes. <laughs> and lately, my son has gotten us on this thing called Rival Dads. That mm-hmm. he's found some folks on social media to follow where they post <laughs> things that dads will do to humiliate other dads and show their dominance. <laughs> 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 like going up to them in a restaurant and saying, I see you ordered the mild wings this time. <laughs> anyway, no, yeah, I like to be silly, probably too much, but <laughs> we, we all have ways we act. That's part of how we're known. Part of what makes us unique and special and fun, frankly. We also know that God has God's ways. We have a passage today that maybe will lead us into conversation about some of that. Crystal, would you help us get us started on it? Sure. How many of us have said, I am so glad they didn't have social media when I was a teenager? Yes, (laughs) with the need to document everything, social media has caused many younger people's actions to live in infamy and for eternity, at least until the servers or the cloud fails us. Today's psalm is a plea from the psalmist for God to not let him be put to shame, for the sins of his youth to not be remembered. Certainly, Psalm 25 is a prayer to ask for not only forgiveness, but guidance to live a life that is focused on the ways of God. It is a fitting start to Lent for us to direct ourselves to join the psalmist in prayer. Psalm 25 is a Davidic psalm, which is the more frequent type of psalm that we see. While it is a prayer of an individual, it is not so personal that it cannot be used over and over in worship in a more formulaic way. It is uniquely an acrostic poem that has themes of trust in God with a desire for not only fellowship with God, but deliverance and guidance. In verse 1, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The Hebrew word for soul here is better translated as whole self. The psalmist is giving all of himself up to God and placing complete trust in God. It is a reaffirmation to whom he belongs and a good reminder for us as followers of Christ to do the same. The rest of the psalm acts as a personal prayer to know the ways of God and to be taught how to follow God's path while seeking protection from enemies. Out of this request for God to continue to be steadfast, the psalmist remembers his own fickleness and inconsistencies. This leads to asking forgiveness for the sins of his youth and for them to not be remembered by God. God is good and just and leads the people of God in all the ways of the Lord. I am struck by the cyclic nature of this psalm. We can come to it over and over again. It can be instructive on how to pray, especially this Lent. We often think of Lent as giving up things so that we can focus in closer on God and a path of introspection. Lent, though, can also be a time of taking on something. This psalm could be a prayer we take on as we lift up our whole beings to God and place our trust in our higher power. We can ask for knowledge of God's ways, God's will, the paths of God, and for the willpower to follow those paths or carry out those ways. 
we could be mindful of how God has not remembered or set in stone our sins or misguided ways, but gently and steadfastly loved us back to the path God would have us on. We could pray to be aware and open to God's instruction and leading while we listen to the still small voice calling to us in the wilderness of a world and the barrens of Lent. May Psalm 25 be a call to keep God's covenant by always taking the path of steadfast love. In the days of my youth, I was a Christian music aficionado. Though I have moved on from some of that music for many reasons, including theological ones, this psalm calls to mind third days, my hope is you. I leave you with the lyrics as a way to remember God is our hope and our guide in all times, but especially through this season of Lent. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. In you, O God, I place my trust. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. My hope is you. Show me your ways. Guide me in truth in all my days. My hope is you. I am, O Lord, filled with your love. You are, O God, my salvation. Guard my life and rescue me. My broken spirit shouts. My mended heart cries out. My hope is you. Show me your ways. Guide me in truth in all my days. My hope is you. Crystal, thank you for getting us going. I always appreciate your background, your Bible backgrounds. I think that they are, they always help to put the text in a framework that makes it manageable. But as I was listening to you talk, I don't know if it was just the way you were talking about Psalm 25 or just the way that I connected to what you were saying, but it sounds like whoever wrote Psalm 25 has come to a point in their life where this is a good old, I don't know, Baptist or maybe just evangelical turn, but almost like rededicating his life mm-hmm. to God's ways. There's this sense of first sorrow and regret, like kind of this realization that, okay, maybe these things that I did are not the way that I need to be going. Mm-hmm. And so it, it reminds me of that old rhetoric of, we're gonna, I'm going to rededicate my life to Christ, that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like there's a reflection there. Yeah. And it, it to who wants the sins of their youth to be remembered? Oh, good right? grief, no. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, I just I do think there's like a lot of reflection there. I, I like that, Nikki. Like that, the, the psalmist is okay. It's time to refocus, recommit, and I think that's why it touched me that this is a good psalm for Lent to be able to like refocus. We come through the holidays and this year Lent is like, it feels like it's smushed up really close it to is. like um, Advent. And it's just, it feels so close. It's a tight and, year. Yeah. yeah. And so being able it, well, in, in the Christmas celebration, so to be able to go, okay, let's refocus. Let's God take these days, these 40 days and help me focus in on what path you would have me on. I'm used to thinking about Lent as a time of reflection, introspection, but listening to your intro and also just looking at the text, particularly verses four and five, make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. Does this mean that really we, we may also want to look at Lent as a time of 
learning, <laughs> mm. that, that it's a time that reminds us, a season that reminds us we don't know that much. We still have so much we need to learn about God, about how God acts, how God hopes we will live. It is, can we come at Lent as a learning experience? I think we need to. I, I think that there's a lot to Lent where you're retelling stories of Jesus's march towards the passion and all that. And it's a way to take stock in the things that were done and where God has been with people and how God has walked with people and what this path is actually. And yeah, there's everyone talks about giving things up and we have, you know, the ashes on the forehead and Easter at the end. But along the way, we're drawing closer to the person who Christ is and what God wants from us. I think if you pace out even the sequence of events in the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus is more and more talking about how do we walk together? How do we make the kingdom of heaven happen? How do we learn to be what God wants us to be? And so this really feels a lot like that. I was talking with a former minister who has been struggling with faith lately, just has had some things happen in their life and just really has been struggling. And we were talking about it and this person said, but I still think it's the best way to live. Mm. And so even in those moments when we wonder, is God there? There is something about the way of living that scripture calls us to, that God calls us to through scripture that puts us on that path of abundance. And when we are not living that way, we are not on the path of abundance. And I do think that's what Lent's about, is learning to live in the discipline of the way that God has called us to live. And you'll notice that this whole psalm is shot through with teaching about humility. This yeah. idea of, oh, back in the day, I did some things that are pretty ugly. Let's not right. dwell on those because it, it's really ugly. Please overlook that. Teach the humble what's right. Teach the humble the way. Yeah. yeah. There's a real call to get beyond ourselves and to go ahead and let God be bigger than us. Mm -hmm. I think this idea of being on a path, on movement towards something, on a sense of learning more about all of those things help us to think about faith, again, I think, as a set of practices. That That's a, boy, that's a classic way of talking about discipleship is to practice prayer, to practice mm -hmm. love and grace to others, to practice generosity, to practice sacrifice, To that by practicing and practicing, we improve. And we know that from, if you've ever played a sport or been in the band, I was in the band, <laughs> and <laughs> practicing, if you didn't practice, you weren't very good. You weren't. But if you practiced, especially if you had somebody that would come in and listen and say, you need to work on that, try to do this, mm -hmm. do it right, this right. way, not that way. And you get better and you get better. And sometimes you might even get to the place where you can help others practice. Right. And maybe that's part of what we do for each other as a community. Mm. We help each other practice better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it still starts with humility. Yes. Mm -hmm. Last week, we had this big discussion about what God wants from us, what kind of offering mm. we're supposed to be giving to God. And just being thankful was all God seemed to be asking for. Mm. But if you're not humble, I don't know how you see your way to do that. 
and, and you get there. And so in this particular psalm, you see over and over again, we're seeing words like the way or his way or the path, mm-hmm. the place that we're going to go. That, that sense of a journey begins with the fact that you're willing to let God guide you somewhere and be grateful that God is doing that. When I think, too, the idea of, I, I like this, we hear soul, we think of it being separate from, a lot of times, from our physical self. And I like this idea of the Hebrew word for soul is like your whole self, mm-hmm. all of you. You're lifting all of you up to God and trusting God with all of you. So it's not just this compartmentalization that we have of, oh, well, I'm just going to give God this itty bitty bit. Right. It's everything, my whole life, I'm giving up to follow this path in this way. Show me that path that you have. And I do think it has to come from a place of if you're giving your whole self, there has to be some humility there to be able to do that. And I think being reminded of that this humble approach is one of God's ways, right? Isn't it in Philippians where we have the famous passage where we're reminded that rather than elevating himself, Jesus lowered himself, yes. became Philippians in the form too. of a servant. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there, there, even God practiced humility in the coming in presence of Jesus. And so I, I'll confess, I, I have long chafed against, and I think it's for this reason, some of the more assertive expressions of faith. So, for example, I remember when I worked in publishing, in Christian publishing, and I once got on the phone with somebody, and they were really pushing me, are you ready to stand up for God? Can I get a commitment from you to stand up? And I'm like, one, I'm not sure God needs me to stand up. (laughs) And number two, (laughs) I'm not sure I always know the difference between my own desires and interpretations and God's. And so to act like I can mm-hmm. push that, that just feels not humble. And But I think there's a whole ethos often that we get sucked into as Christians where we, we're standing up for God or we're, or we're being assertive, we're pushing. And I long for a non-pushy expression mm-hmm. of our faith, one that, one that people are drawn to, not pushed into. Mm-hmm. When if we take this idea of walking the path that God puts in front of us, then it's when I go hiking, I can't pay attention two miles down the path. I have to look at what's right in front of me or else yeah. I'm going to fall on my face because there's <laughs> going to be tree roots or rocks or whatever. And so you have to really pay attention and be present in the moment that you're in. And I think that's part of that walk with God is that you're asking God for knowledge of God's ways. What is your will for me, God? But I think that what I'm realizing at this part of my life, as opposed to when I was younger, when I thought I had all the time in the world, now I look at it and I go, okay, I need to know what do I need to do today? Because today, like this moment is all I have. I don't know what the next moment holds. So what do you have for me now, God? Instead of, what do you have for me um, next Tuesday at 9 p.m.? And I think that's helped me put things more, it makes walking the path more manageable. It makes it easier for me to, I have a hard time focusing. Thank you, ADHD. But also, I think as human beings, I think there's so many things that vie for our attention that it's hard to focus in on and listen to God sometimes. And so I think if we can just say, hey, what do you have for me today? Where do you want me to walk today? okay, now where do you want me to walk today? And each day do that. I think that is 
for me, it's been helpful because I know that I don't, we're, it's cliche, but we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I need to be walking that path today, whatever that means. I have to admit that Crystal got me into a Burt Montgomery moment again when he was, sorry, but she was talking about <laughs> contemporary Christian music. And I just have this song that goes to my head all the time of an album called Darn Floor Big Bite. And there's a song called The Unattainable Earth. And the punchline of the whole song is, my questions don't need all the answers. Just don't ever let go of me. Don't ever stop loving mm-hmm. me and, and talking to God. It, it, it just resonated so much with what you were talking about in your introduction and where this psalm goes. We just got to trust God to take care of us and not have the answers to every question because God doesn't know us an answer to our questions. Mm-hmm. We have to have humility to admit that sometimes and not call people on the phone and ask them to you know, commit to... <laughs> I think that when we talk about the ways that God calls us to live, it's really helpful to me to name, to recognize and name that so much of what that is that God calls us to is in the opposite direction of what the culture tells us to do and to acknowledge the challenge of that. Because everywhere in our world, especially those of us who live in the United States, there is a, there is like a rally call to individualism and to not having humility and to not trusting something other than yourself. And so when God calls us to humility and to trusting and to being vulnerable with God it is the opposite of what everything else is trying to tell us to do. And so I think it's helpful to acknowledge that challenge exists and the weight of that challenge. It's hard to go against what everything else is telling you to do. And, And I find that when I can acknowledge where the challenges are for myself, it helps me navigate those challenges better. And as the psalm will say, the way to find out what is right is to start by being humble. Mm-hmm. So the the famous uh, mystic and monk who helps us think about spirituality, uh, Thomas Merton, once wrote about this kind of humble attitude, but also this rejection of an individualism that um, separates us. And he, he put it a lot better than I'm putting it. So let me just <laughs> read you a passage that he wrote. He said, it's a glorious destiny to be a member of the human race, though it's a race dedicated to many absurdities and one which makes many terrible mistakes. A member of the human race, to to think that such a commonplace realization should suddenly seem like news that one holds the winning ticket in a cosmic sweepstake. And if only everybody could realize this. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. They are not they, but my own self. They are no strangers. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, that the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. There would be no more war, 
no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. Merton calls us to see that we are all creations of God and special and loved. And if we begin doing that, if we begin walking down that path of humility and love for others, maybe we begin to learn how to walk this path that God has before us. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.